Go in the Match podcast is now sponsored by Shirt Loot Box, home of Mystery Football Shirts. As a listener of Go in the Match, you can get 10% discount using our promo code GTM10 at checkout. Treat yourself or a loved one to a mystery shirt box via their website www.shirtlootbox.co.uk and use our promo code GTM10 for 10% discount. Welcome back to the Go in the Match podcast. Today I'm very excited to be joined by Peter Kenny Jones, Liverpool historian and author of Little at 100, a family portrait of a Liverpool icon, Billy Little. Peter, thanks for giving me your time today, mate, and coming to the podcast. Oh, no worries. Uh, thank you for, for wanting me to come on and, yeah, nice to meet you or see your face and speak to you <laughs> properly. So, yeah, thank you very much. So, before we get talking about your book and, you know, your story of writing it as well, can you just tell us where you were born, how you began following Liverpool Football Club? Yeah, so I was born in Crosby, which depends who you ask. I had said it's in Liverpool, some people say I'm not. <laughs> um, that's where I was, that's where I brought up. Obviously, I went to... Hope Uni, uh, so that was then I moved to around those ways where you was doing now living Heighton. Um, yeah, been Liverpool fan forever, really. Um, first game I went to was Roma 2001. Uh, my mate was actually mascot, so I managed to uh, go and watch him. And then, yeah, basically, my dad's been a season to hold this since like forever. Um, he's had the same seat as the cop was all seated, so I used to just try and go when I could, and I think it's since. Um, their couch hat-trick against United was the last game I missed at Anfield. So since then, I've gone to every match. So I just try and go as much as I can and where I can. But yeah, basically, yeah, just support them forever. Obviously, yeah. the middle name's Kenny, which kind of means I have no other option but <laughs> to go down this path. <laughs> uh, so it just instilled from the family, you're always going to be around. You've got any blues in the family at all? or uh, like, Not like brothers and sisters ways, but uh, my dad's brother, my uncle, he, he's a blue, so there's a few of them on it on his side. Uh, all my mum's side are all, all reds. But um, yeah, fortunately, not, not like any in our, in our family fights, but obviously we've had a few, uh, <laughs> not even I argue, you, don't, you know what families are like, it's all a bit of a, bit of a joke in it. But yeah, but my uncle, who, who's the blue, he's... Um, He's one of the like the, the mercy side like, so he wants us to do well. Like he, he wants Everton to win the league and us to come second. That's basically yeah. what he wants to do, which I think is uh, it's kind of got one a bit over the years, but he's one of like the, the more traditional ones who is uh mercy side United. But I don't think there'll be too many people upset if they do go down this season. So I think he might be um, he might be changing his views. <laughs> I mean, like I was I wasn't really gonna ask this question to be honest, but when you've been doing like the history of Liverpool and, and you know looking into those sort of things, have you sort of seen that? You know, obviously you used to see like blues on the cop, didn't you? I and mean, you'd see reds in amongst uh, Goodison Park, and you don't really see that anymore. Have you sort of had to look at that when you've been doing Liverpool history as well? That sort of tail off of you know, I, I, I don't know if togetherness is sort of the word, but there is a more of a rivalry, a more of a heated rivalry now. Yeah, well, I think it, it's competition. You know, I think it, it's hard to speak on it from a full side world time and like you're trying to rub the face in it or something. But you know, we, we've been better than them for a long time, and that's that's what doesn't help when you when it used to be that if Everton won the league, we'd be second and vice versa. You know, it's you'd have that pride in Mercy side and think, you know what, no matter what the the the, the prem or the first division, whatever is is coming to Mercy side this year, and you're gonna feel a lot more maybe connected to both teams. And if you see like the rise of United and City and that's the option, you'd rather someone from Liverpool want it than someone from Manchester. So that's probably you know how it would have helped. But I think 
you know, I'm not trying to plug it here, but when the pull up relegated, you know, Billy Little wrote in the echo and said, you know, we hope Everton win the league and that we win the league this season, we'll be back in it. Like that, that was yeah. still a big part of it then when they, they were just so united. And I think obviously with what happened was Hills probably brought them back together. But after you know high school and you know a lot of the Everton fans today are the younger ones there, obviously attribute some blame on the fact that they didn't want to win a European European Cup because they were banned of it because obviously you know we can we can go into that that'd be a whole other podcast but you know that doesn't help and then to go on for years and, and maybe have one stuff and the 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 winning run we have at Anfield and over them I think obviously it just doesn't help and then when you have the kids coming through who, who haven't seen their team win and they're obviously going to hate the other side but again it's hard to say it yeah. from a Liverpool side without sounding like you're trying to wind them up that's what I think it is if it you ask me. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. And obviously, following Liverpool as well, I know you touched on, you've done the aways and, you know, you've been to the cup finals, Kiev, Madrid, and um, you went to, to Gurbal as well in 2016. And yeah. Have you got any sort of decent stories that you could share with our listeners? Because, you know, obviously the podcast is about, you know, fans going to the games and stories and stuff. So have you got anything decent you can share with our listeners? Yeah, well, I think, obviously, the finals always feel like the biggest one because it's the most excitement about going. Um, when we went to Basel, obviously we, we, we called it the Basel bus. We had like a, a mini bus with about six, eight of us in. And we had uh, a couple of us without tickets. So we had like any spares written on the back trying to see what we could do. But we just like went around France. We brother sorted a load of Airbnbs and we were in like a an old French train station. We stayed there and it was like this couple came and they gave us a, a bottle of whiskey that was called Fanny. <laughs> so <laughs> that made us laugh just off the start. And then we're all having that. And obviously... I, I couldn't drive then, so we had like my dad and my brother. Uh, they were both very hungover trying to drive us from there to to the edge where our next house before we got the train to to Basel from France. It was right on the edge. And then we had like this lad who was doing French in uni and he was talking to everyone for us. That was all an interesting one. And then to me, we went to Kiev. We had another Airbnb, but we said there was only two of us staying, but there was eight of us against. We had people just sleeping in every corner and Oh, I, I think the um, I think it was the immersion heater went off us. Then my dad had to call my mum back at home and said, Do you remember like the, the boiler we had in the 60s? <laughs> Do you remember how they work? And my mum was talking through, they got it going again. So we obviously couldn't get them to come round because there was like five extra people in there and they should have been. But and like there it was like 50p a pint. So I was a student at the time, so my dad said it was the only time I've uh, stood me around because it was only costing like less than a fiver to buy everyone <laughs> everyone around it. So it was um, yeah, they, they were both great trips. I think with Kiev because we stayed a couple of days before and a couple of days after obviously you had the upset that we lost and you know you never you think we might never come here again obviously we did the next year but you know those days after that we're just going around the city and obviously see what's going on there now it's mad but there was that's probably the best place I've ever been to just on its own that you felt like a million (laughs) there because the the exchange rate and obviously it was just a really good place to go and Madrid was amazing as well and we had we were in that the square where Jamie Webster was singing and yeah. we ran out of ice in the shop so we bought all the little um, frozen veg packs and we were using them to chill the beer but obviously the sun was melting it so then we had all like garlic tasting beer all day so that's in there wasn't the best plan we had but uh, it's all those stories and obviously you go for the 90 minutes but everything around it that's that's what makes the trip so I think obviously cup finals stand out the most because it's just it's it's a holiday and also you you just a lot more optimistic maybe than than a normal game and the whole affair. You just try and make sure you enjoy what happens before the match before it all often seems to go wrong. <laughs> <laughs> this is what seems to happen, but yeah, fingers crossed for the next one it doesn't. 
Yeah, I think you've hit the nail on the head. You know, this sort of podcast was actually born out of the idea of not being able to go to the matches during COVID and it was getting everyone's stories on. And uh, we had Keith Salmon on, we had uh, Jordy Holden, who's part of Spine Cop as well. And, you know, they were coming on, they were saying the exact same thing that, you know, that 90 minutes just gets in the way, to be honest, doesn't it? Um, <laughs> at the time we record and we just went to the Norwich game and obviously living in the Isle of Man, doing the planes over or if it's in the summer, it's the boats, it's it's the travelling that is the best part, isn't it? You know, all the stories you get, obviously the European ones when you go away to the arse end of nowhere and just create these stories and that is literally what it's all about, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's what, what you look forward to and that's, what, that's why you go, isn't it? Yeah, so even if you go or not, as you said, we went to the, um, we go Paris, PSG when we had them in the group stage, we um, we never had a two, we went to the boss night there and, like even that was an amazing trip, just at the whole square. Yeah. I think I had the only bottle opener in the whole square. I had a bit queues <laughs> of people coming up and just firing them all off and everyone's so like, yeah, as you say, it's just it's not about the match because we lost that one and it was still great. So yeah. And you know, touching on the home games, and what something I wanted to get your thoughts on was I know obviously you go to Anfield as well, and you're a similar age to me. So obviously both going to go into the games. I just wanted to get your thoughts on how the match days improved in and around Anfield and for the home games, because you know, say maybe in the days of Hodgson in 2010, obviously we were pretty turgid then on the pitch, but the atmosphere in the ground wasn't great either. You know, it'd be very silent, not even just necessarily because of, you know, the lads on the pitch, but it just wasn't as good. I felt when I was younger and you compare it to today and I know we're a much better team, but I think, you know, two things that have improved it for me is what lads do at the sparring cop and um, the flags on the cop and, you know, Jim Webster, Boss Knight, you know, taggies and everything like that. I think all these things have improved. Would you say, as in a, have you seen that improvement growing up um, as a Liverpool fan, going to the games at home? Yeah, well, I think, you know, I'm probably one of the only people who's grateful for Royal because of him I got to start going the matches. Because <laughs> I think, as you say, maybe the the atmosphere or the, the love of it wasn't as good as it possibly could have been. So that's what got my way in. So I think maybe because of the, the worst days were my first ones, I probably were thinking they were a bit better than what they were. But, you know, it's it was just about going the game then. But I think once you realise how much it's improved, I think the big one was the, when we came second under Brendan Rodgers, that season just seemed to be unbelievable. Yeah. Like, obviously, we, that's when the coach welcomes were probably at the the height and you just remember what it was like going to all them and then obviously we, we it didn't it didn't work out then and we, we managed to get back into Europe though when the Champions League ones and those nights were just amazing like that's that City game and uh, when we got to Kiev that year that was just unbelievable it just didn't stop and then we had the coach welcomes then I remember me and my mate went and I felt like I was in like a, a war scene you couldn't see your hands run to your face it was just red smoke we had no idea where the crowd like we were trying to walk up to it it was just it was, it was just, yeah, mad. And those, those things are what stay with you again. And the Roma one, obviously, it's changed now. It's all on your phone. I obviously um, had to be ticket, but I always move around every game on the cop. I haven't got a season ticket, but obviously just go to every match one by one. Yeah. And I always used to forget to check where my seat was before kickoff. And then my dad went, oh, where are you sitting? I was like, no idea. And then obviously, I don't know what it's like on the cop. It's just, you get no signal at all. So I just walked up the cop. I was just like, I have no idea where to stand. So I just went in front of someone. I was like, this definitely isn't my seat, but I've got no idea where I'm supposed to be. He's like, oh, don't worry. And then all the aisles were full of people. And just of that Roma match was mad because it was almost too easy. And then it became a game, didn't it? But it was, I just remember that one as well. You just think maybe that one gets forgotten a little bit because we beat City and obviously because we didn't win the final. But I think that's probably one 
one of the best atmospheres I've been in, maybe not one of the best games, but the atmosphere just before was just unbelievable. And then, you know, you can't always go to European away games at the boss nights for the, the semi-finals and with that Roma one especially and the City game that year was just all, it all seemed to work perfectly up until the final, but, you know, I don't know, lay, lay, lay start and it was just all that stuff. I think that was probably the best period when we started realising the clock, you know, we, we can win stuff and that's what, Makes the atmosphere better, doesn't it? When you you think you're watching a team that's kind of that can easily win every competition they're in, and that definitely helps create a brilliant atmosphere. And obviously, it's been like that for a good few years now, thankfully. And we will go on to talk about Jurgen Klopp's current Liverpool team on just for the listeners later on. But let's dive into you and yourself. So obviously, as stated at the start, you're a Liverpool historian. Um, so can you just tell us a bit about you know where you studied to become a historian, and you know sort of learn your trade for that and is that something that you wanted to do at a young age you know be you know an author and get into that side of things no not really um i surprised myself a bit that i've written a book but it was i did history basically because i was i was quite good at it more than, than i loved it and i, I did that at uni yeah. uh, which is something i carry too but i wanted to do teaching so i went into doing primary teaching with history and liverpool hope was the only place that did that but i ended up doing like two weeks of teaching and just just hated it and just asked if I could just do straight history. So I um, just stuck with that basically. And then so you do the three years and still it was okay. Again, probably I didn't think I'd ever continue with it. And then obviously you finish with your dissertation. You just said, what do you want to do it on? And I said, can I do it on footy? Thinking they say no. And they just said, yeah. So I was like, great. So the first one I did, I did interwar periods, um, Liverpool and Everton and why the fans in Merseyside were spending money on football when they had no money and we you know we obviously just finished one more and they were on about to start another one but I also did about cinemas and that one as well so it was maybe me trying to be a bit more historical then and then did all right really enjoyed uni all my mates were staying on so I, I did a master's I was one of the ones who did it but I thought I'll just do it again and then at the end of that one obviously it's a bit a lot bigger dissertation they said what do you want to do so I just did Liverpool and Everton in the 60s and after Bill Shankly and Harry Catterick. And then, again, I just didn't think that you could go to uni and talk about Liverpool. I didn't think those things would overlap, but it did. And then I realised when I finished, I just had this like body of work that my dad would be interested in and people his age. So I just kind of like chopped it up and put it out as articles to, you know, all websites, fan sites, stuff like that. And they all just said they liked it, do you want to keep going? So I just carried on writing and then, it just kind of spread from there, really. I thought, it was uh, Stephen Doan, who was the Liverpool FC's like club historian. Oh, right. He um, he just said to me, don't be like too partisan with it. Don't just try and be Liverpool forever, which obviously, maybe if you, obviously you can't see it here. If you look at my room, you might think I'm a bit <laughs> Liverpool roots. But I do try and broaden it a bit. It's just obviously I've got more maybe expertise about Liverpool. So I tried to write for as many different people as possible then. It's all just kind of channeled into being able to write this book, which obviously is about Liverpool, but it was more being able to touch on the historical side. And I think probably that's where the, the long story is of, of how it's all, all started, really. Yeah. It sounds similar to, we obviously had um, James Pierce on the podcast about a year ago as well. And he said a very similar thing that when he started getting into media, he didn't necessarily have the chance to go straight into Liverpool. So he did a bit on Everton first. And um, we did a bit on other sports before he got into Liverpool. And he said that actually helped him, um, you know, maybe sort of swerve his bias sometimes. And did you find that um, maybe like touching on, you know, you said you did a bit about Everton as well. 
did that maybe help you in the long run to doing your book that you you know gained a little bit of experience doing that? Yeah, well, I think you know being in uni as well. Obviously, you're not just with people from your own city; are with people from all around the country, around the world. So, you know, there was no Evertonians in my group, and I remember. On, you know, in that Rogers season when we beat Everton 4-1, I do remember thinking like, oh, I wish I was in school now going in and you know, why <laughs> not the Everton fans up and you just, it's not there, see, maybe you get a step removed from it and my, my missus is an Everton fan as well, so I always try and be a bit nicer to her about it, you know, <laughs> thankfully it's going well in, in my favour, so I try not to rub her face in it too much when anything goes well for us and, and badly for them, so I think that, that did help that I could then do that and obviously her family are all big Everton fans and I've got my uncle and that and you just think you know you don't want to you want as many people as possible probably to get involved with it and you know yeah. that you know your friends and family are going to be the ones who support you the most so yeah I think that did help and being able to speak to my uncle and my missus uncles and stuff like that for the dissertation you realise you know obviously Liverpool is what means the most to me but you realise every club and every fan has got their own story and all these things mean the most to them so it's good to try and just try and keep the stories of, of people that have them in the head like Harry Catterick to me as a Liverpool fan in the 20s I didn't really know who he was but like his record stood up there with Bill Shankly in terms of what he'd won for Everton I'd never even heard his voice before never mind you know much more before I did the dissertation so I think you know there's a lot of people who get forgotten and a lot of people get you know, rightly so with Bill Shankly obviously he's remembered and will be remembered forever but there's people who probably have a similar trophy haul to him who have been forgotten in that era and I think that was good to do that and that made me realise you know, every club has, has got someone like that who, who deserves to have their story shared Yeah and so obviously your book you published November last year I think I'm right in saying um, can you just tell us a bit about the book you know what gave you the drive to go down that route um, talking about um, Billy Little and um, if someone, one of our listeners, haven't read it and they, you know they're interested in it, can you sort of give like a brief explanation of what they would be reading upon? You know, obviously you touched on earlier about wartime football, so obviously they were still trying to play football during the war. You know, can you t- tell us our listeners a bit about what the whole book is? Yeah, yeah. Well, obviously Billy Little, it, it is life. So from start to finish, and. He's still the fourth top goal scorer in Liverpool's history. He retired as the top goal scorer, most appearances. Um, he's the only player alongside Stanley Matthews to have represented Great Britain more than once. And um, basically, just he was Liverpool Football Club. It was called Liverpool at the time because of how influential he was. And I think, again, me going into it as someone who said, I said they liked history, I knew it was called Liverpool. I knew he must have been quite good. And that was probably about all I knew about him. And then you just think, you know, there must be stories behind it. And it is. And speaking to as many people as I did, everyone who'd seen him play said he was as good as Kenny Dalglish and Stephen Gerrard. There was no question about whether it may be whatever. He definitely was to some better, to some as good as. I think for people like him to be in the history of our of my club, um, for, you know, the benches outside Liverpool, He's one of the, the names on there that maybe not everyone knows. You've got Elijah Scott, Billy Liddell, John Barnes, uh, Stephen Gerrard, Kenny Darkleash. And uh, you just you see those names, but you, and then maybe people aren't realizing who, who Billy Liddell is. And you think oh, it was time to do his story. It obviously worked that it was his 150 coming up, which seemed like a good time to do it. And then there was the fact, obviously, I, I knew his sister, he was good friends with my auntie. Oh. So 
being able to speak to her, she obviously gave me like first-hand access to like have read letters between him and his mum and stuff like that, and newspaper clippings, which you know, I'm not sure if you've seen LFC history sites that they had match reports on there that they'd never seen before and stuff like that. So like it was a real like archive and family history that I'd been given just on top of having all that stuff to look at. So it was just um, it just felt like a good time to do it, and I, I think he's the best player in Liverpool's history that's the least known about, you know, yeah. what I mean, trying to balance it up. I think, you know, everyone knows Kenny and Gerrard and you can write another book on them and there's been plenty of them, but for the only books that have been written on him are by himself when he retired. John Keith did one just as he died. I think, you know, it felt like a good time to do it again with there's a lot of people who have been able to reflect on his life and, and talk about him. So I think it just, it all kind of met together and hopefully <laughs> the book does justice to that. Yeah, and you spoke there about some of the individuals that you got in touch with. Uh, who, who, did, you, did you get, was I saying you get Carragher on there and you got to speak to like Paul Moran and people like that as well? And how, how did you find like interacting with them? And, you know, were they really interested about the books? Obviously, it's a bit of a, you know, standout. No one else will have done a book on Billy Little. So, you know, did they seem like really keen to, to help you with that? Yeah, well, obviously, I don't think it was anything to do with me. It was all to do with, with Billy Little, but obviously, he was. Um... A mass, it was a massive help to be able to have his name and saying that well, that's why I'm I'm writing this book. And you know, obviously, you said uh, Jamie Carragher, Ian Callaghan, Alan Hanson were the, the three people I got into to the forward for me, which is obviously massive. And I think they represented like a good period of the history, really, because Ian Callaghan took the shirt off him. Um, he was the one who basically took his position. We had uh, Alan Hansen, who was obviously a young Scott coming in and could go and feed off his knowledge in in the club at the time. And then Jamie Carragher through being coached by Ronnie Moran, who played with them. You know, he he was still getting the name Billy Little while he was playing in the nineties. So you can see how far reaching yeah. Billy's you know legacy was within the club. And then for them to want to speak was great. And I also wanted to speak to as many people as possible who obviously played with him or knew him. And that was always going to be you know. A big part of the story and to be able to speak with people that actually shared the pitch with them was was amazing i just basically went one by one in, in quite a morbid way of seeing who was still alive who I could talk to and there wasn't many unfortunately from how, how many people he'd played with which again probably made it a quite a timely time to do it because it's an era of repose history that is about to go extinct so i think to to have him have his name behind it really helped for people to want to speak about him. And as I said, I think there was a lot of fans and and players from the time who realised how good he was and probably can acknowledge now that he isn't as respected as he should be. So I think that obviously helped and to be able to speak to them just as a as a Liverpool fan myself, if you take off just trying to do for research purposes, is amazing to be able to speak to, yeah. to Jamie Carragher and have him on the other end of your phone and you know, still have the shakes while you're talking to him and stuff like that. So it was um yeah, it was it was a bit surreal, and I'm trying to do it again with some other books, trying to track people down. And I think I found it it was a lot easier when it was Billy Little than it was Peter Jones. I think a lot more people are uh, a bit more interested in, in him than they are me. But hopefully that all all comes to it at the end. But yeah, it was um, yeah just amazing to be able to to speak to those people, and yeah, just yeah, really thankful for them because obviously that adds to the book, and I wanted it to be the words of people who knew him, not just me research them and, and writing it up. Yeah, yeah, brilliant. And uh, this might sound a bit of a stupid question, but it's almost easier to write about Liverpool's past than maybe in like the past five years. You know, does that make the book a bit more chunkier, if you like? Yeah, well, obviously you can, if you're referring to today, you know, I've just said there, 18, 19 season, you've got 
all the memories you need and that, and it, it comes into your head and, you, you know, what happens at the end of the season. But then, you know, if you refer to the season or we know how bad it was in 50-51 and you're like, well, I need to go into a bit more depth and obviously that will help <laughs> fill pages up on the book if that's what you want to look at it as what I was doing. But I always think, again, because of, of what's happened in the past, there's less people to fact check, yeah, which always does help less of them around who, uh, who maybe can prove you wrong. <laughs> but I think it is... It is like um, it's something I, I quite enjoy doing because I think you know that period of, of the history. It's good to try and build up the knowledge of it because you know people are going to read that book. Maybe not just looking at Billy Little, but maybe look at you know what the club was like right on the dawn of becoming the best in Europe as it was. You know, 10, 15 years after after Billy left, so he was he was right on the cusp of the good times that are about to come. So I think it's a, it's an interesting insight into that period, and obviously. The wartime football, which he was heavily involved in, I don't, I hardly knew anything about that, and I think that whole period is just, you know, no one really seems to care about it. Taken off the records, but, but really, it was a massive thing in in everyone's lives at the time. Obviously, they were fighting a war, but there was also still football going on. Some of Billy's best years were in the wartime, but for him to still finish as top appearance as top goal scorer, for him to still be the fourth top goal scorer today, despite having the whole of World War II playing time taken off him, it just shows how, how great he was, really. And without giving away too much of what is in the book, if you were going to sell this sort of book to someone that was listening uh, on the podcast today, have you got any sort of like fact or story about Billy Little that would sort of entice people to read the book? Anything that you could give us that would stand out that people may not know? Yeah, one thing maybe people do know or don't know him, it, it gets ruined at the start of the chapter because it's called We're in the League. <laughs> so, 46 47, the first year after the war ended, Liverpool won the league, and that's probably what a lot of people might know or might not even know that fact. But the way in which they won it was amazing. Like they, were, they were miles away, and then all the results just fell Liverpool's way. And they basically had no chance and then they fell at the final hurdle and then it came back to them and it was just like if you think of the Aguero moments I mean they basically had like five games of that because mm-hmm. it was just going left and right centre and they were playing um, a senior cup final at the time which obviously is just like more of a local one they were playing against Everton but they had the, uh, the scoreboard of the Sheffield United game which is they, they were wanting them to they needed the result to go their way against Stoke for all the Liverpool to win the league, but obviously there's no tellies and everything. The best way for them all to get together was to go the match. So they're all watching Liverpool play, but while some bloke is updating the scoreboard for them, and when the full time whistle goes there, it's while Liverpool are still playing against Everton. And so you can imagine Liverpool winning the league while the ground's full and they're not even playing. Like you can imagine what the scenes would have been like then. Yeah. It probably would have been more throwing your bowler hats in the air, and it would have been lighting your smoke bombs and whatever it would have been today, but. That's you know that was amazing writing that and writing that running. I was getting excited writing it, thinking, oh, what's the next game and researching it all. So that was a really interesting one. This day, nineteen fifty FA Cup final, which was again an interesting one and how Billy was basically marked and kicked out the game. And then I've got the the story of the goal that never was, which I think is is quite a good one as well, where he basically Billy scored in the last second against Man City. Um, all the fans in the stadium thought they'd, they'd won. And it, well, they thought they got they'd equalised and it was going to extra time. They all stayed inside and they had to put on the Tannoy announcement. The referee had blown the whistle before it went in the back of the net. So you can imagine again that that happened and the crowd's full and everyone's expecting extra time. And then, you know, you can hear George Sefton saying, oh, sorry, by the way, they've, they've just allowed that one. <laughs> you can imagine how much that would kick off. I don't think they'd be... Um, 
I don't think the city fan, the city players will be allowed to leave the field and have mind the ref. So it's it's interesting to look at how fans differ from then today. And, and you know, you, you just think football is so different, but then you look, you know, how there was a season where they, they were on the cusp of winning the double and it all fell apart at the end. And then there's another season where it was they had no right to win it and they won it. So it's all those stories. I think you just think, oh, because it happened 50, 60, 100 years ago, it, it doesn't matter. But I think you know, the more you look into them, it, it is just football's the same. You know, that's the quality of, of team that they had. And Liverpool were right up there then for a large period. I think those were the most interesting ones when you know, about the cup ties and, and the, the games that were trying to settle the league. They're still interesting then. And I think there's quite a few, um, few good ones in there. And Billy seems to have a big part to play in a lot of them. What I would say is that I admire quite a lot about you is obviously that we're similar age. I would, and I, I class myself as quite a big red, you know, going to the games and stuff like that. I would not know anything about Billy Liddell and I wouldn't probably think to go back as, as far as and, and research, do all this research that you've obviously put so much hard work into. But being a historian about Liverpool, do you think it's really important maybe for the Liverpool, younger Liverpool generation coming through now, seeing the great team that we do have. Do you think it's really important that they know about the past and they learn and, you know, they hear all these stories? Even that's quite an important thing because that's why I would admire quite a lot about you for digging all this out and and, and sort of showing people. Well, yeah, I'm like I'm not one for transfer rooms. That's not really what I like to do. You know, I feel like it's going to happen at some point, but I think a lot of people like to read what's happening right now and you know who we might sign in the summer and trying to think of the future and that which obviously is is fine and obviously I'm excited that Lewis Diaz comes in and when it once the news comes in it's great but I think there's there's a lot of time that you can you can waste as a Liverpool fan reading about stuff that might not happen and yeah. you know who leads have got injured in the next game or you know whatever match you're playing I think it's more important to know about what came before and, you know, just to go on those benches again for Liverpool to acknowledge Elijah Scott and Billy Little with the bench and put them alongside Bob Paisley and Bill Shankly, the, you know, men of the same ilk, then you should, not, not I'm going to go you personally, but you should know who these people are and I think, oh, you know, yeah. Elijah Scott's the first hero of the cop, the first man to have his name sung, but again, people probably don't know much more than that. And just uh, just through doing little articles, I absolutely teach myself while I'm doing it. I just think it's a lot more interesting. And again, I love Stephen Gerrard, and I always will. But you know, I I know what he did in 2005, and I know how good he was in, in those years. And you know, you can rewatch stuff and and go back on it. That's fine. But I think you know, learning about what came before. You know, football didn't start in 1992, which is like Sky like to think, and it. Liverpool Football Club didn't start with Bill Shankly. There's a lot of years before that as well. You know, it's easy to just disregard things. And as the years go on, you know, probably what Shankly did will be still acknowledged, but maybe you would be able to say, you know, how many leagues did he win? When did he take over? People won't know. They'll just know he was good. And I think it's important that maybe, you know, this seems to be the era now, with, you know, the end of, it's the start of Shankly's time. These people, these players are dying out, basically. And it's a good time to, maybe get down what they're saying and speak to these people. And you know, it's going to be the 65 FA Cup final team. They're going to be the, the next hero. So probably the whole team will be wiped off soon, which was, it obviously is sad to think about. But you know, that was a massive thing that came in Liverpool's history. You know, it won't be long until it's 77 in Rome and all that. So it's, it's important to, you know, not in the least morbid way possible, trying to get all these stories off these yeah. people who, who played in them and, you know, and then if you get it written down, whether it's me or anyone else, if you get it written down in the book, it'll always be there. And it's good to 
look back at the past and acknowledge, you know, we've got 19 league titles, you know, the 19th one means as much as the first one, so it's good about looking at each and every one and that Champions World we're all so proud of. Let's see what these people did and how we won them. Fair enough, mate. Um, and sort of going forward on from this book and looking into the future, have you got anything planned, any other ideas for any new books or anything? Yeah, well, I've set myself a bit of a target to write five books by the time I'm 30. And I'm 27, so I think I've I've said it a few times, so that I feel like I have to do it now. But I'm I'm currently writing my next two. One's like an autobiography with obviously not about myself, with a, a former Liverpool player, and I'm doing one on Liverpool and Everton, which obviously I'll be able to turn out fully soon when it's all sorted. But they're the ones I want to do, and then after that, I want to try and maybe do another autobiography with a, a former player, and then try and think of another idea of someone to do about. I think. Someone who's really interesting me in the moment is Gordon Hodgson again, because I think you know, every time Mo Salah scores, you get these lists now of these players, and you know, yeah. there's only four people who've scored 200 goals for Liverpool. Salah's just scored 150. He's going to be wanting to get in that list, and I think a lot of people know about Ian Rush. I've done Billy Little, so there's Roger Hunt and Gordon Hodgson. I think you know, I, I think more people know about Roger Hunt, obviously, with him sadly passing away recently. And obviously being involved in the 66 World Cup. But I think with Gordon Hodgson, because of the period he was in, it'd be nice to maybe look at him and hopefully no one gets in there before me. But I think he'd be um, he'd be someone good to look at. But then there's, lo- there's loads of ideas. And you know, I think like Phil Taylor, the manager before Bill Shankly, I think it'd be interesting to look at, you know, the lowest points, sadly, yeah. in our in our club's history before the glory that came after us. And just, just all stuff like that. And I just think I'll quite like doing it on a player or a person and just looking at their whole life and you know what they gave to whether it was Liverpool, Everton, whatever club, if this if the story is interesting enough, I think it's good to try and just recognise these people and, and as I say, hopefully just bring their name to a new audience and let a few new people appreciate who they are. And so it all started with Billy and hopefully uh, that goes well and they can all keep going well and I can keep doing it. Fantastic. And Obviously, I can't let you go without talking about where we are currently at this point in the season with this Jurgen Klopp team. So, at the time of recording, we've just beat Norwich and Spurs have just done us a massive favour and beating City at the Etihad. Leaves us six points off with the game in hand, which we play Leeds tomorrow at home. Just beat Inter Milan, 2-0 at San Siro. It's not bad for some. Um, and we're into the next round of the Champions League. We've got a cup final um, on Sunday against, against Chelsea in the Carabao Cup. Still in the FA Cup. Do you think you could do the quadruple? Well, <laughs> it, it, the thing is, it's not a stupid comment to say we can, which is is a good sign of where we are at the moment. Isn't it? You know, with, um, it's exciting going every week and watching this team, and you know, whether you're there or not, it's just it's great to watch them play, and we can do it. And you know, it's it's tough City to draw with Southampton and to get beat by Tottenham to suddenly and now the title race is blown open and obviously it's it's easier to say that's two games and we wouldn't have expected them to probably drop points against them but you know hopefully off good form just keeps going so when we get a run going we seem to stay on it for a while same with City and hopefully they can split it a bit and we can just keep going and you know to to try and win the first cup will be that will be a big one and that'll get the get them all going and you know they'll they'll have an itch and they'll want to keep winning trophies. So yeah, it's exciting. I don't want to predict and say we will. <laughs> but you know, you'd you'd like to think that we can win the Prem and or the Champions League would be good. If we win both domestic cups, I don't think people would be too upset. But obviously I think where we are right now, for us to be 
hopefully, you know, we should be in the top two of the Prem. Hopefully we get to the final of Champions League and then we'll see what happens. And it's just great to be able to say that and not you you won't be laughed at by anyone else because it is probably true we are that one of the top two or three teams in Europe and definitely one of the top two in England. It's just unfortunately City are very good and they won't be easy to beat or stop. But yeah, it's just exciting. Hopefully, each game now the atmosphere is just going to be wrapped up every game, isn't it? And the Anfield's just going to get louder and louder. And just you just need to keep going our way. And oh, just fingers crossed, we have four cups and that and that bus tour we've been promised for years. <laughs> and obviously, well, that's the thing I was going to touch on. Obviously, you know, people are writing books already about this team. Obviously, win the league for so long and. Do you think in 20, 30 years' time, you'll be writing a book about this, you know, the story under Jurgen Klopp, you know, the Europa League final in 2016, all the way to COVID, winning the league, you know, there is some stories there for an author to write, isn't there? Um, yeah, it'd be, it'd, be, it'd be a lot easier for me if I remember a lot more of it than <laughs> what Billy Liddell was doing, but yeah, you can, it, it's really easy to say, it. you know, it all seems to be perfect. Even looking back to, you know, writing an article recently about um, the... Uh, Capital One Cup final against City you know, a few months into his reign yeah. that just feels like years ago which it was but you know it just feels like a lifetime ago when you see how different the team is now and you know we've seen all these Thomas Tuchel comparisons and, and Pep Guardiola but I think the job that Klopp's done is far above what anyone else has done and we have got the best manager I think it's just he doesn't like to or we don't like to spend the money that the other teams do and he just does so well. He's the best manager or the best coach because he, he turns average players into, into superstars. And, you know, Diogo Jota is probably the, the biggest example of that. No one was excited when he came, or maybe not excited, but didn't expect him to be what he was. I knew it for Wolves fans, they were saying, like, he's our fourth best attacker, and not even that bothered that he's going. And, you know, now I think everyone in Europe would be scared to come up against him. I think that's the job that, that Jürgen Klopp does. I don't think you see Guardiola and Tuchel buying average players and making them well beaters and I think as soon as he goes I'm scared of what happens as much as I'm excited of what maybe Gerard could do I think Jürgen Klopp going will be the, the biggest loss possibly we could ever have so it's about finding that next one without making them upset about it, you know looking already but yeah it's exciting you just got to live in the moment which is not what you should say as a historian but yeah live in the moment <laughs> and just try and enjoy every game and yeah as long as Jürgen Klopp's dead I think the good times will be keep coming that's it, mate. And we always end the podcast by asking our guests, what are your three favourite matches you've ever been to or seen? It's hard. I feel like I won't say Istanbul just because there's been so many good ones because I was only in year five. So I couldn't really... You know, obviously, I do remember it. And I remember saying to me, mum, at half time, we were still going to win. And I was right. <laughs> maybe if I was older, I'd be able to put a bet on and got some more money out of it. But yeah, yeah. I think if I go on maybe once I've been to, for some reason, I always go to the, the League Cup semi final um, before we won it 10 years ago um, against City. Um, I just remember when Craig Bellamy scored. And, oh, I went to that, yeah. Yeah, I was just, I, I don't know what, it always just kind of resonated with me because it's the first time I've been to Wembley and the first time I like, proper go in the match. It just felt like I was I was really a part of it. And that atmosphere was great. And I just remember leaving and we were right near the front of the cop and looking back and just hearing everyone saying Wembley and all the flags were going. I just felt, you know, yeah, you heard you your dad's talking about how good Liverpool used to be. And I felt, you know, these are uh, memories to start. And obviously it took a few years till. Clock came, but I think that was obviously a massive one. Then again, unfortunately, against City, I don't want to be just a massive club, but it was um, when we didn't win the league under Brendan Rodgers. I think 
that game when Coutinho scored, just because I thought we were going to win. I think, you know, if I, if I deny that, it's not, you know, I'm denying myself that I did. I, I really enjoyed that game. And it was <laughs> the first time I allowed myself to think we could win the league. And obviously it makes it painful because we didn't. But again, that atmosphere and that season, I think, you know, I remember looking at the scoreboard, 15, 20 minutes. If we hadn't scored a couple of goals, you started worrying. The football we played was amazing. I think Brendan Rodgers gets a bit of a bad time for maybe how it ended. But you know, that season will always be one of the best ones. And whether it's because of him or because of Gerard or because of Suarez, whatever it was, it was still pretty fun to go. So I always think of them too. And then I just think you, you want to put Madrid in again, but it wasn't the best game that we ever watched, was it? Let's be honest. So yeah. probably, you know, hopefully the, the, the best one will be when we beat City this year. That'll be a good one to put in there. But yeah, I just, one of those Champions League ones, maybe the Roma one from what I said, but then it all pales into insignificance when you look at the Barcelona comeback, doesn't it? So I thought I'd give a few honourable mentions, but that's obviously the best thing you're ever going to see when we, we we needed to overturn this legal deficit and we did it. And I had such belief we would, and I couldn't believe it came true. I had belief that he was going to be a star and I was right again. I didn't put any, I didn't put enough money on my back me thoughts enough, but um, yeah, that game was just, you'll never forget it, will you? And obviously, but, but every game, why now? And, and Oh, it's just great. If you can go back to one moment. I I just always wish that Origi and Wijnaldum's goals were the way around because as, as good as Origi's was, you weren't really sure what happened. You were like, is that offside? Is that yeah. You couldn't really like properly celebrate. But that Wijnaldum header, obviously you could see it coming in. It's the back of the net and that just explosion. And then that, I think that is, if I could have even 20 seconds of my life again, I'd go back to that. Just that. When Shakiri crosses that ball, that's when I'd go back to because that was just unbelievable. I think that's probably the best match you'll ever be able to see. And for it to be at Anfield and to be there and you know what happened, it was just unbelievable. But thankfully, there's so many to West Ham in 2006, Dortmund, the comeback, and there's so many games that I've been lucky enough to go to and, and enjoy. And yeah, as I say, hopefully there's a few more this season we can add to that and we can win that quadruple and maybe that maybe that FA Cup final or the Champions League final when we win the fourth one. That'll be the best game. And the rest would be history, wouldn't it? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, you've done that. You can have that one. <laughs> so just before I let you go mate I just want to say a massive thank you for giving up your time coming on and where can our listeners go to purchase your book and follow you on social media yeah, well the best place for me is through my website so probably if you just follow me on um, Twitter that's pretty easy one at Peter Kenny Jones um, you just go on that the link to the, the books on there but obviously if you don't want to do that fine it's on Amazon WH Smith Waterstones all them um, and yeah, that, that's what I'm on. <laughs> I write for Empire of the Cop as well, so I do articles for them all the time and just I try and do historical stuff when I can and hopefully there'll be a, a few more books coming out soon. So yeah, just give us a follow and hopefully um, yeah, you enjoy what you see. Okay, I'll put the link directly for that in our bio for the podcast as well for our listeners. They can go straight to it. Oh, boss, thank you very much. I think you could sign books, everything through there as well. And as far as I know, that's the only place you can do it. So yeah, that'd be great. And thank you very much. No problem. Thank you again, mate. No worries. Nice to speak to you. Thanks for having me on. If you enjoyed that episode and want to keep notified for future episodes, please make sure you subscribe, follow and share. And of course, leave us a five-star rating. You can now follow us on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter, all at Go In The Match to keep updated for future episodes and updates on the podcast.